Well, it's church. And so we've got some visitors that are online with Facebook Live. Yes, Abundant Life Chapel is live streaming this morning uh, for those that... uh, are unable to join us, and maybe some guests that maybe never walked through our door before, we want to welcome you here to Abundant Life Chapel this morning. And so today we're on week three of our Bodybuilders series. See, as important as it is to take care of our physical bodies, our, our, our mental and emotional and spiritual, it's also imperative to care for each other, the body of Christ, which is the church. And each of us here at Abundant Life is part of that body of Christ. And the body of Christ is not limited to this church. In fact, it's not even limited to a denomination. For it's all churches and all denominations who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to the world, believes that Jesus is the one true Son of God who saved the world and that that teaches the the Word of God, the Bible, and, and that is the body of Christ. That is the body of Christ. I love what the Apostle Paul said uh, in around 55 AD, and this is what he had to say to, to a church in Corinth. He says, the human body, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. And the body here at Abundant Life Chapel is made of many different parts. Many of us, all of us that are gathered here. And in order for all of us to, in order for this body to operate uh, effectively in telling people about Jesus and helping them grow into a committed relationship with Christ, right, we have to work together. We need each other. Each one of you is needed regardless of how significant you may think your role here is at Abundant Life. And, and simply put, we're better together. And, uh, and, and so though there are many people in this body to make up this body, we are one. For those that are, uh, those of you that are here, or those that are listening online, or watching us online, uh, that have not tracked with us so far in this bodybuilder series, let me just give you a quick synopsis of what we talked about so far. First week, we spoke about how we are members of one another. That that in order for us to function as God intends us to, we got to work together. We got to work together. Last week, I spoke on how we're to love one another and that the love is to be the foundation of everything we do with love for God and love for others. Now, if you've missed those sermons or want to listen to those, you can listen to both of those messages online at AbundantLifeChapel.ca by clipping, uh, clicking the sermon link, or you can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple iTunes and a few others. Today's bodybuilder is about living in harmony with one another. Our text this morning is found in the New Testament section of the Bible. And, and, and it says here in, in uh, Romans, 15, 5 verses, uh, 15, Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, it says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this book 
which is actually a collection of letters, and, uh, and they were to the church in Rome. And it was written around 57 AD. And the church in Rome was a very diverse community. All right, it was made up of Jews and Gentiles, slaves and people that were free, rich and poor, strong and weak. So it was very difficult for them to accept one another as equals. And it was kind of a foreign idea for them because of the racial and economical differences. It felt awkward to share a meal with each other and even to participate in activities together. And so it was hard for them not to show favoritism to certain parts of the body of Christ. See, the best way to hinder the church's effectiveness is to cause disunity amongst its members, is to cause disunity amongst its members. And, and that is one of the devil's primary uh, uh, strategies in disrupting the, God's will here on earth. Max Licato, in his book, In the Grip of Grace, quotes this phrase from an unknown source. And I love how it's, it, what's worded here. It says, to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with those we know, now that's another story. One of the things I appreciate about the New Testament section of the Bible is that it doesn't hide the fact that there was actually problems in the early church. Though there was advancement in the church, there was also conflict. There was conflict. And, uh, and in Acts chapter 6, there was conflict over a perceived unfair treatment of minorities and neglect of widows that led the selection, led the, the early church to the selection of its first deacons and lay leaders. And then in Acts chapter 9, there were a lot of mixed feelings about allowing a new follower of Christ to minister to, to churches, and, and it was interesting. This new follower, he had come to, come to Christ. He, he gave his life to Christ. He hated the church beforehand, but now he was, he was a Jesus lover, and he was a Jesus follower, and he wanted to tell as many people about Jesus. And, and the early Christians had a beef with that. They thought, no, 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 no. No, this shouldn't happen. And it wasn't until a man stood beside this man and said, you know what, I will vouch for this guy. And the man's name was uh, Barnabas, and he decided to stand beside this new believer. And that seemed to simmer some of the tension down. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad Barnabas stepped up. Because the man that this Barnabas stood beside was none other than the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Can you imagine if we would have missed out on that? Can you imagine if these, these, these group of believers said, no, we're going to shut that down? We're going to shut that down because that shouldn't happen. You know, we would have missed out. We, we, our, our New Testament would be a lot thinner. <laughs> and then in, in Acts chapter 11, there was conflict about Peter entering the house of a Gentile and dining with them. See, Gentiles and Jews have very different dietary choices. Uh, when we were in Israel uh, back in 2012, uh, we went to the Jewish quarter of uh, Old Jerusalem. And in the old uh, Jewish quarter there, um, they had this burger joint. And I tell you, the burgers were tasty. Does anybody enjoy a, a bacon double cheeseburger? Anybody? Like, I mean, like, ah, right? You cannot find bacon double cheeseburgers in Israel. Anywhere in Israel. Because they don't mix dairy and meat together. And, and, and oh my goodness, not even pig you can't even put pork you know i i just i'm so glad i'm canadian because i love bacon 
All right. I love bacon. And, and, and I mean, that's that should be on our flags, I think, is a strip of bacon or many strips of bacon. But but the Jews and the Gentiles, they couldn't get along. And, and, and so what happened? Actually, it was funny. Well, just finished my story about us in Israel. We actually grabbed the burger from this burger joint, and and uh, they had a small space for dining. So we went into the open courtyard, and uh, we found some seats. And we thought, oh well, great. It's just a food court, so we'll just sit there. We go to sit down, and the guy, I think it was a pizza restaurant, right? He comes yelling at us and screaming at us, "Not unclean, not kosher, not kosher, not kosher." And we're like. What are you talking about? He says, this is for dairy, not meat. You can't mix the two. <laughs> and we defiled that table. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but you see, the people, the Jews in Jerusalem, they were furious about this. They were furious that Peter would go and dine with the Gentile because he was eating, un, to them, unclean food. But it wasn't until Peter convinced them that, hey, this was okay because he told them that the entire house had given their lives to Jesus Christ. And so that kind of seemed to smooth things over. And then in Acts chapter 15, there was a doctrinal disagreement that later in the chapter, a, a personal clash between Paul and Barnabas. And it's like, Paul, get over yourself. This is the guy that vouched for you. Why are you clashing with him, right? But there was a clash between them, and it was actually over Barnabas's nephew, John Mark. And later in Second Ch uh, Timothy chapter uh, 4, while Paul is in a Roman prison, he requests the presence of John Mark to be sent to him. Send John Mark. He's valuable to me. And so you can see that there was a change in, in Paul's heart at that time. And, and uh, Paul uh, saw that John Mark would be very valuable in, in, in continuing on the ministry of Jesus Christ. See, all throughout history, there has been arguments, conflict, and disagreements that have arisen in the church. And even today, conflict is no stranger within the walls of the church. And as Christians, it's vitally important that we seek to live together in unity and harmony with one another. Why? Because discord, disunity, and dissension leads to dysfunction. And really, what person wants to be a part of a dysfunctional church? Right? If, we're a church, if, if we in the church consider ourselves a family, if we're dysfunctional, who wants to be a part of a dysfunctional family? I don't want to be. I don't want to be a part of a church that argues and gossips and insults and speaks harshly of one another. Before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, which he then was led to be crucified, he prayed this prayer, and he didn't just pray this prayer for his disciples. I believe he prayed this prayer for all future followers of Christ. And this is what it says in John chapter 17, verse 21. It says, I pray that they will be, or they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and, you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. A healthy body is able to fight off disease and infection, which is something we all need, right? Especially with the, the coronavirus or the COVID-19 thing going around. I guess that and a whole lot of toilet paper, right? <laughs> but, but seriously now, a healthy church body is when there is unity and harmony present amongst the people. 
amongst the people. And unity and harmony is what will draw people into a right relationship with, with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And how can we live in harmony with one another here at Abundant Life? Well, here's a couple of steps that I think that if we were to follow these couple of steps and apply them to our life, they're not the only steps, but there are a couple of steps to steer us in the right direction that I think if we were to do these things and follow them, that there would, it would promote a spirit of unity and harmony in this body number one the first step is is when you're offended deal with it properly deal with it properly not get over it just deal with it in Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 to 17 we'll break this down in just a moment into some steps uh, but it, it says here if another believer sins against you go privately and point out the offense if another person listens and confesses it or uh, if the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. These instructions given by Jesus were meant for the church, not unbelievers. They were meant for sins committed against you, not others. And the, this conflict resolution is meant in the context of the church, not the community at large. These words are not a license for a frontal attack on everyone who hurts you, insults you, or disagrees with you. Nor are they to be a license to start a destructive gossip campaign or to call for a church trial. All right, They are designed to reconcile those uh, who disagree and have offended one another so that the body can live in unity and harmony with one another. First and foremost, it's important to remember this. When somebody offends you, forgive fast. Forgive fast. It's important to forgive fast. Be like the fast and furious and forgive fast. This will help you avoid allowing an offense to fester into bitterness towards that person. Or do as Elsa suggests, let it go, let it go, right? Dave Ogren, if you're listening, I dedicate that song to you. It's an old joke. Anyways, uh, the writer of Proverbs says this. He says in, in, in 17 verse 9, he says, love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it separates close friends. What sometimes happens when somebody says or does something that offends us, we, we don't let it go and we end up gossiping to somebody else about it, right? And, and, and instead, of, instead of going to that person directly, we just talk about them behind their back and try and gain a whole political campaign of, of support. I want to just tell you gossip is a sin. Gossip is a sin. Gossip is just as just like as much as a sin as lying or cheating or stealing or committing murder or committing adultery or 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 whatever. Right? It's a sin. Gossiping is a sin. Forgiving fast and moving on as love demands is important. There's too many really important things for us to be concerned about than nursing personal offenses. First Peter. 4 8 says this most important of all continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins it covers a multitude of sins 
But if someone has unjustly treated you or you just can't seem to overlook it and and forgiving fast just doesn't seem to work or you feel that this is going to affect your testimony in some way Jesus taught us three steps to follow in Matthew chapter 18 so let's let's break down those steps here step number one meet privately to discuss it don't make it some big thing in front of people don't make it a show go to meet with this person privately and it says in Matthew 18 15 if another believer sins against you go privately and point out the offense point it out step number two if that doesn't work is take someone with you in Matthew chapter 18 verse 16 but if you're unsuccessful take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses now, in most cases, two believers, two people in the church can solve this uh, offense and come to a loving reconciliation of forgiveness, restoration, right? Most times, there are times that it doesn't. And so Jesus says to go with one or two others to serve as a witness or as a mediator, right? And, 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 and based on what Paul's teaching about confronting a believer in sin in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 these witnesses should be spiritual people spiritual people who will take uh who will not uh not not people that'll just take your side but will look at the matter uh in a in a bigger spectrum right 99% of the time problems are resolved in such meetings like that these spiritual witnesses then can give counsel, weighing the very various views and often suggest ways to reconcile. And then step number three is take it to the church leadership, Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. And, and, and I want to just point something out. I didn't point this out in our first service, um, and I, I, I should have because maybe it was a little confusing, is, is that you know, we don't involve the church leadership right away in a, in, a, in a discussion like this. We don't pull out the big guns right away. Take some trusted friends with you first that you consider spiritual mentors in your life because once you turn it into bringing a board member or bringing the pastor or bringing, you know, the elders into it, now it becomes a big situation and you might put that person on the defensive. The idea is to come to a, a peaceful, loving reconciliation right not to say well I was right and you were wrong but sometimes we fall into that trap so step number three is take it to the church then if if those two steps don't work take it to the church leadership in Matthew chapter 18 verse 17 if that if the person still refuses to listen take it to your case to the church then if he or she won't listen or won't uh, accept the church's decision treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector if the witness is if the witnesses feel that there is a major unresolvable sin involved needing church attention, then the matter is taken to the church leadership to deliberate on the matter and for the church leadership to collectively pray and counsel the offender to deal with the matter. In most cases, steps one and two is all that are required, right? If they're done properly. If they're done properly. But there are those rare occasions where step number three is required. And I want you to believe me when I say this. That when step number three comes into play, it hurts the entire body. Because step number three, if they haven't come to a a matter of a peaceful resolution, then it can get ugly. 
And sometimes situations, sometimes that calls for uh, uh, firm action to be taken. And it takes a toll on the whole body, especially the leadership. The leadership, that's a huge burden to carry. And, and, and nobody wants to get to that point. So, so we're, just to let you know that step number three is a hard one to make. Simply put, let me just say this. Work towards forgiving fast and resolving conflict quickly amongst us. The longer an offense lingers, the easier it is to transition into bitterness and into an offense. And, and when, offer, when offended, it's important to deal with it appropriately and properly. The second way we can help cultivate a spirit of unity and harmony within the body is number two is to uproot the cause of dissension. Uproot the root, right? Uproot the root. First Corinthians chapter three, verse three says this, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When we are controlled by our sinful nature, when we're controlled by our sinful nature, instead of God's Holy Spirit, jealousy and conflict and division, they rise up. They rise up. Whatever happens to one part of the body affects the whole body, affects the whole body. Paul is saying that dissension comes from sinful, selfish desires and from those wanting their own way or having their own agenda. As a body, we must think, act, and speak for the benefit of the whole body in mind. The best way of doing this is to be in tune with God's Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to guard our lives. The term we use here in church settings is being spirit-filled. Spirit-filled means being controlled by the Holy Spirit, not our selfish, sinful nature. Paul says this in Galatians. As you can tell, I'm quoting Paul a lot. Well, the guy wrote like nearly half the New Testament. You're going to quote him a few times in the sermon, right? But this is what he wrote to the church in Galatia in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guard your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. See, there's a battle going on. So what does it look like? To live a spirit-filled life? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Paul gives us some examples in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at those uh, outward evidences quickly. Number one, choose carefully your vocabulary. Choose carefully your vocabulary. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Most problems in the church start with loose lips, right? They start with loose lips. Have you ever wondered, have you ever, I, I, there's, a, there's a phrase that, that was picked up or penned in the first, in the, uh, during the Second World War. There was signs posted to keep intelligence from falling into the wrong hands. And it said this, Loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships. I dare you to say that 10 times really fast. 
No, not here. It might sound. <laughs> I don't want anybody to use any foul or abusive language. <laughs> well, that's not the only thing that loose lips sink. See, they can also sink a person's self-confidence. They can uh, sink a person's uh, initiative. They can sink a person's motivation. Loose lips can hurt, damage, and destroy people and destroy the body. The kind of things that should come from our mouths are words of encouragement that build up, not tear them down. Our words should inspire others so they continue the good work that God has called them to. Our words do matter. And if we are abrasive to others, it hurts the whole body, the whole body. I used to work for a guy in construction years ago, and uh, he was a pretty abrasive man kind of hard around the edges and uh you know uh if you've ever worked on a job site there's a lot of there's there can be a lot of abrasiveness happen and i you know there were many times that he was he was uh he was calling me out in front of the others and and i i I gotta tell you like during that period of my life my self-confidence went down like sunk down to the dirt and and it was really hard and i and i remember one time he was trying to uh uh when he tore a strip off me he says don't take it personally he says you know what like don't take it personally like i'm i'm helping you he sees my dad used to treat me like this and it wasn't you know and it was hard for me to hear but i turned out okay and 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 so i think you can do the same but i had his foreman when the boss was away picking up supplies his foreman asked me he says okay so our christian boss he preaches on sunday and cusses us out on monday he says what christian does that and i was faced with a difficult decision at that point because everything within me my sinful selfish desire wanted to call out our boss and just drag him through the mud but i had to start thinking collectively as the body of Christ, because here's a guy who doesn't know Jesus. And so I said, hey, listen, I I, I can't answer for him. I can't answer for him. But I said, you know what? I believe in a God who forgave me. And if I don't forgive others, it's going to be hard for God to forgive me. So because God has forgiven me, I forgive others. And and so I just kind of left at that at that point. But you see, Loose lips can sink ships. They really can. See, some people excuse their abrasive behavior as expressing as a way of expressing tough love. I, I want to just put it out there. That's not tough love. That's abusive behavior. That's abusive behavior. And, and might I suggest something else? Might I suggest using positive reinforcement that rather inspires, uplifts, and brings about a positive change? You see, if we truly are able to read different, the different, pers- uh, different personalities in one another, we understand how each other, you know, in communication, we can bring the best out of each other. But that takes time, and that takes relationship in order to do that. So le- let's, let's try and bring out the best in one another, right? Number two, let go of destructive habits. Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. See, when we don't forgive others, resentment starts to 
build up within our lives towards that individual. Eventually, it gives root to bitterness. And, and you know how you can tell if you've got hidden resentment towards somebody? It's whenever that person walks in the room, anytime that person's uh, name is mentioned, or when their voice is heard, something just rises up within you right it just rises up and the inner hulk inside of you wants to hulk smash right so so you'll know if you've got stuff that's inside of you because you'll feel your blood pressure go through the roof and hostility and anxiety and rage just building up within you but paul gives us a wonderful example of what bitterness manifests into it manifests into rage anger harsh words slander and other evil behavior hebrews the author of hebrews writes this in chapter 12 verse 15 he says look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Corrupting many. Bitterness is not only affects an individual who refuses to forgive, it also affects the rest of the body and those that are around them. I wonder how many children who have been corrupted by ugly tempers Uh, temper tantrums, seething anger, shouting and screaming and cutting remarks from a parent who's deeply embedded into bitterness. I wonder how many husbands or wives have been corrupted because of their spouse's bitterness spilled over with outbursts of anger, simmering rage and cutting words. Don't corrupt yourself and those around you. Forgive fast and move on. Number three, build constructive habits. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, instead, of, uh, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, being kind means to be pleasant, gracious, and compassionate toward one another as opposed to being harsh, hard, bitter, or sharp. Right? A harsh, hard, bitter, sharp person is like a walking meat cleaver, right? Tearing apart at the fabric of unity in the body. And why is forgiveness important? Because, let's face it, none of us is perfect and we're all bound to let each other down. I like what the Greek uh, scholar Kenneth Woost says about forgiving in this verse. He says to forgive in the sense of treating the offending party graciously. And what's grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor giving something that a person doesn't deserve right we taught our kids a little song uh when when it came to treating each other and i'm i I apologize people online i really do Uh, our first service went through this but uh oh maybe hannah knows it you remember hannah yeah I hope you guys caught that because great way to memorize scripture is to learn it in a song. That is my, my second born daughter who I love very much. Thank you, Hannah. And, uh, but uh, the last point here this morning is walk in love. Walk in love. Ephesians 5 says live a life filled with love following the example of Christ he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us as a pleasing aroma to God 
What does it mean to walk in love? It means that you love people wherever you walk. Simply put, it means love exudes out of you wherever you go, right? Somebody mistreats you, walk in love. Somebody slanders you, walk in love. Somebody gossips about you, walk in love. Somebody hates you, walk in love. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, people were mocking him and spitting on him. And he uttered the words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus, at the lowest point in his life, how many of us would have been tempted to call down the wrath of God on all of them? But he lived a life filled with love and he wants us to do the same. He wants us to do the same. As the body of Christ, let us be committed to building this body up by living in harmony with one another. Living in harmony with one another. And I encourage you that if you're from a, from a different church body and you're here today or maybe, maybe you're listening online or watching online, I encourage you to live in harmony with, with your church family. It's very important. And take these steps that's not the only things that will lead to harmony and unity in your church, but is a couple of good steps to take. really is. And let's just put out any chance of bitterness festering. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we are so thankful for your word. Lord, your message is so timeless, God. It, it, it really is. Some of these things that we're mentioning to the the first century followers and the first century church are, are applicable to us today. And so, God, I thank you that your message is timeless. And so, Father, as, as we as a body of Christ and as this church body is part of the universal body of Christ, I pray, Lord, that we would treat others as you have treated us, that we would love others as you have loved us. Lord, whether it's in this church body or another church body or in another denomination, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you, your, your, your body is so big and it's international. And so, Father, as we reach out in such a time as this, God, I pray that they will know that we are followers of Jesus by our love. Followers of Jesus by our love. And that our unity with one another, our harmony with one another, though we don't always have to have, have the same opinions, but we don't let those opinions cause division. But, Lord, we move together for one cause, your cause, your purpose, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for this. In Jesus' holy name, and everybody said, amen.